We've been living in New Zealand 12 years, and although we consider ourselves local, we can't really say we're true, true Kiwi. But this guy that you're about to meet is. What does it take to become a Kiwi? I mean, I know that's a huge question, but. What is it? Yeah, <laughs> I want to be a Kiwi. What it, <laughs> <laughs> well, what it, what it takes. You're going to meet Gordy. He's fifth generation Kiwi New Zealand, and he is here to give you some really good stories on what it takes to be a Kiwi in New Zealand. Hello. I could eat about a million and a half of these. Well, nobody's perfect. Welcome to the It's a Drama podcast. Daddy, I love you. My mother thanks you. If you can't say something nice. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. And I'm Brian. And if you haven't been to our channel before, we're husband and wife. We talk everything about New Zealand, about travel, about life in New Zealand. And today we are talking to a real life Kiwi bloke. <laughs> Someone who's been in New Zealand land for a long time. Yes. Yep. Fifth generation New Zealander. Yep. I'll tell you why we're talking to him. So he was listening to a podcast of ours on YouTube or watching a podcast and he wrote in the comments, you should get a real life New Zealander or an old school New Zealander on there. Old school Kiwi, I think That's he said. It, yeah. yeah, you should get an old school Kiwi on your channel. So um, not one not to take up the channel challenge. I said, come on then, come forward and let's have a chat. And he did. And he did. Yeah. So hats off to him. You know, he was he, he was like that about it. He said, oh, should I, shouldn't I? And he's, I'm so grateful he did because... This is the sort of stuff that you cannot know about New Zealand unless you have been in New Zealand a long, long time. Yeah, and it's been passed down and passed it's, down. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yep. So you are going to love this show. Gordy, thank you so much for agreeing to doing this with us. And let's jump in and yep. meet Gordy. Hello. Hello and welcome, Gordy, to the It's a Drama podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. And I just want to give you a huge thank you for joining us on the show. I just want to just say, this is the most bizarre and wonderful experience because we did a, a podcast on YouTube and you left a comment saying, you should get a, a, an old school Kiwi on there and have a chat with you. And I was like, <laughs> okay, how about you? And you just, me and you, <laughs> me and you have been backwards and forwards with our emails mm. corresponding. And you very kindly agreed to come onto the show and just give us a perspective of being a New Zealander, being a Kiwi, we've got lots that we're going to dive into. But first of all, can I just ask you to introduce yourself and say hi and let us know who you are? And Okay, I'm Gordon, but in New Zealand parlance, everybody calls me Gordy because that's people's shortened names in New Zealand. I have been around all my life in New Zealand with a few trips overseas, of course, because Every New Zealander has to have the OE experience. The jobs I've done have been wide and varied. I've worked in coal mines. I've worked in corrections. I've worked in defence. I've worked in ACC. And this is in, and others, this is in connection with um, health and safety and also as an HR manager. So I've travelled practically every road in the country. I have wide connections with many people and consider myself a genuine Kiwi. A genuine Kiwi, that's lovely, isn't <laughs> <Yeah>. it? <laughs> Whereabouts do you live in uh, New Zealand? 
I live in Wellington. Wellington. Right, yeah. Right. For the people who, who are from the USA, that's the capital of New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> we so, know that. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I just wanted to get you and say, Gordy, what does it mean to be a Kiwi? And I tried saying that to you and you were like, Liz, come on, slow down. It is a massive subject. <laughs> so <laughs> what? tell me about New Zealand's um, geographical and... Uh, you geographical know, location in the yeah, world, like just, you were saying. And yeah. let's, let's, let's go for like a, a little, bit, little bit of the background I, of the history. Yeah, that, that would be great, great Gordy. Okay. Thank you. Okay, to be a Kiwi, you have to understand where New Zealand sits in the world. This is probably a bit hard for some people to understand because a lot of people leave New Zealand off maps, so that makes it a bit hard to find it. But if you look in the southwest Pacific, there's a couple of little islands that sit about 1,200 miles from the nearest piece of land. It's a socially isolated and geographically isolated country. The islands are pretty big, I have to say, but they're still islands. The country is formed by the Australian tectonic plate hitting the southwest Australian uh, southwest Pacific plate, which creates uh, um, a unique geographical landscape. We've got mountains and we've got volcanoes and we've got earthquakes. The country is situated in what's known as the Roaring Forties, which means that there's a lot of wind in a lot of places, brings a lot of rain. There's not much between the bottom of the South Island and 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 Antarctica, which means you can practically smell the penguins as they <laughs> the smell comes up. It's pretty darn cold down there. So you're looking at a country that is geographically very isolated, and that goes to a part of the New Zealand history. New Zealand, being in the bottom of the southwest Pacific, wasn't discovered by anybody until about the 14th century. Indeed, it was the last piece of large major piece of land discovered by humans and the Polynesians uh, noted birds flying and thought, those suckers must have come from somewhere. Let's find out. Into the canoes, boom, down and discovered New Zealand. And they were quite happy here for a couple of centuries until the Europeans arrived. Nothing much happened until the beginning of the 19th century when Basically, Australians who showed some initiative popped over to New Zealand and started timber industry and selling muskets and booze to the natives as parlance of the time. By the beginning of the 20th century, New Zealand only had about a million people, but by the start of the 21st, we had 5 million. So historically, it's a very new country, a lot of people coming in a very short amount of time. There's no significant long culture or history such as you might find in, in other parts of the world. And we all sort of rub along together because it's a three-hour flight to any other piece of land in the world. So that's, that's basically, if you understand that, you're starting to understand what it means to be a Kiwi. That is a wonderful yeah, description. That has just summed yeah. it up perfectly, yeah, hasn't it? Yeah, Thank you so like much. History in, in two minutes. <laughs> yeah. How do you know all that? How do you, did you just practice saying it, or did you just know? Is it all that information in your he head, or it would be? If yeah. You, if you, yeah. I I just know it. You just know it. I've been around a long time. Yeah. And also, you told me that you you're fifth generation um, Kiwi, aren't you? It's just. Tell me, yes, just tell me the, about that. Just the first uh, um, person in the family to arrive was a missionary, paid for by the missionary society, and they went to Australia in the 1830s. They were sent to New Zealand in the late 1830s, 
got his name on the Treaty of Waitangi, which is a foundation document between the, the Māori and, and the Europeans at the time. Subsequent members of the family arrived in the 1850s and the 1860s, where they promptly did what every other colonial person did, took large amounts of land for small amounts of money and grew wool. They became farmers. The Johnny-come-latelys of the family came in the 1880s when they came across for the gold rushes and promptly deserted ship in, in the South Island to what get to story. the gold fields. Um, like everybody did, it was, it, was, it was pretty common in those days. So since then, you know, the family's been farming and doing other things there. On the Weiss family, they were, they were probably pretty much the same. They arrived in Canterbury as maids and promptly walked over to the west coast, which is through a mountain range. It was no easy uh, mm. trek, pushing handcarts to become part of the gold rush and those sort of things. And they became miners, so they are west coasters. Oh. Uh, where did they head, like Hokitika or Westport or something like that? Was they they headed, in fact, to um, some of them headed to Reefton and some of them headed to Westport. Right. And do you know what? When you were just family history, wow, that's amazing. When you yeah. were just saying that, I just thought when you were saying about pushing the carts through the mountain, and I was imagining it, and you just think, no wonder, you know, when kids today, and even like our generation, you're like, oh, I've got it so hard, I'm so stressed, you know, life's so difficult, and you just think. Yeah. Can you? No wonder our grandparents used to say, "You don't know your bloody born lady," like you know, yeah, because it's, it's <laughs> so true, isn't yeah. it? Imagine let, doing that. Let me give you an example from my mother. My mother was born on an outback farm in Hawke's Bay in the 1920s, and she was the only child to farmers. The nearest town of any repute was Prongahau, which was 13 miles away, but the main town was Waipakarau, which was 40 miles away. They didn't send her to school when she was five because they thought she was too small to ride the horse. So she started school at six and she had a horse called Molly and she had to ride that six miles to school when oh. she was six years old. Nobody else was there. That's after she had to get up at five o'clock in the morning to do the farm chores because there was no electricity yeah. or anything like that. And then she had to um, ride back home after. If she fell off the horse, she was so small, she had to wait and a swagger which would be a, I don't know what you'd call a swagger in international parlance, but it's sort of a, a tramp, I guess. They, they would come and put her back on the horse um, if they were passing, because there was quite a few itinerant land workers. When she turned nine, when she rode back from school, she had to take a pack horse across two rather large gullies and across a plateau to where Fijian scrub cutters were cutting. So she took the supplies twice a week to scrub cutters, riding a horse after school, taking right. a pack horse. These people didn't speak English, but they would give her a cup of cocoa with condensed milk and unload oh, the supplies <laughs> and give her a list. And she'd ride back again, often arriving in winter back at night. Now, you don't see that sort of thing happening these days. No person in their right mind would say, yeah. at nine. ride your horse at night with a pack horse across uncharted country to scrub cutters. The scrub cutter camp would be moving, of course, because they're cutting the bush. Mm. That's unbelievable. So, what a story. Was, you, was your childhood, I mean, I know you probably didn't ride a pack horse to school, Gordy, but what, how does your childhood compare to that? I mean, just briefly, how, you know. <laughs> well, 
my childhood was split between going to the farm and living in, in Wellington. So it was probably pretty much urbane life. And I mean, when I was 11 or 12 at the latest, I would go to the farm and they thought nothing of giving me a 22 rifle and a handful <laughs> of bullets and saying, go out and amuse yourself. This farm was 2,000 acres, back country. They never knew where I was. I was just wandering over. They just hoped that I'd turn up for tea. Yeah. And I did. So yeah. I had those sort of experiences. Oh, That's unreal, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. I love stories about people's lives as they go yeah. back through the generations and just, <laughs> you know, just seeing how it how it varies and things. And, yeah. and, and you've have you got children of your own? I have. I've got two daughters. Yeah. And I have got five grandchildren. I hope you sent yeah. them to the school on their pack horse in Wellington. <laughs> no, they they go to school in the vehicle. Yes. Yeah. They, yeah. Do put their, they do put their foot down if they have to walk. <laughs> they For don't sure. know they're born, do they, no, Gordy? They don't. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just ask you, I didn't I'm sorry, I didn't write this in the notes and I hope it doesn't catch you off guard. And if it does, we'll just cut it out. It, don't worry about it. But when you saw our podcast that time, what made you say you need to get someone, you need to get an old school Kiwi on the show? Why did you say that? The reason I said that is that I think a lot of podcasts devote themselves to, to how they see the world and how they see New Zealand. But it's not how I see New Zealand. I accept that you see it in a certain way and I accept that everybody comes in a certain way. They all have different experiences. But for myself and the people that I know, been here a few generations, mm. they see it differently. Can you tell me how you see it? How do you see New Zealand? New Zealand is, as a country, to be a Kiwi, you have to instinctively know how things work. But I don't think the podcast, because people haven't been here long enough, but the to become a Kiwi, you have to evolve to become a Kiwi, like I suspect in any other culture, you evolve there. And I noticed that podcasts are very complimentary about the country, but they don't have the element of evolving to become a Kiwi. Yeah, yeah, I understand that, yeah. What does it take to become a Kiwi? I mean, I know that's a huge question, but... What is it? Yeah, <laughs> I want to be a Kiwi. What it... <laughs> <laughs> well, what it, what it takes... This is in my view, of course, and, and I'm not a sociologist. What it takes, in my view, is that it's a process, and some people never become Kiwis, and some people become Kiwis a lot later. If you're born here, you're already sort of a, a, a down the track, because from the very moment, you don't know anything else. The If I go back to the, the, the country as a socially, geographically isolated country, People instinctively know we can't go anywhere, really. So there's a, a bond with nature. To be a Kiwi, and when you become a Kiwi, you form a bond with the outdoors, with nature. It's instinctive there. So when you're seeing something, you think, that's not too bad. I like that. It might be a mountain range or a forest, or you just feel comfortable in nature. That's what I think when you get there. And then on the sociological side, to be a Kiwi, it's all about the people. New Zealand is like a big community. Everybody sort of looks out for each other. It's the people, it's the people, it's the people, as the Maori proverb would say. So if you don't have that, it's the people in you and you don't have the nature element in you, the outdoors, you ain't going to make it. 
Right. You'll be in New Zealand because you can get your residency, but you won't be a Kiwi. No, that's that's what I've always found with New Zealanders. Like when there's a, a tragedy or anything like that, everyone pulls together. They and do. it's it, you know it reminds me of when my dad used to talk about being you know in the Second World War in the UK and how everyone pulled together and that's kind of missing in the UK now. It, it does they do pull together but not quite the same as what it feels like it was in the olden days and what it does here in New Zealand. Yeah, that's it does though, feel like it? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just that community feel. Just yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, it's just like even <clears> when the, when the, when the postie like this morning I was in the shower and the postie walks into the house and she's going, "Oh, is anyone home?" <laughs> <laughs> and I just love that type of thing. In England, you just wouldn't dare open a door, would you? No. Like, you know, and she'd bring biscuits for the dog and things like that. You know, I just I love yeah. that type of. I know. That, you know, and I know, I know she's not a rural postie, but it's that, great. But yeah, it's yeah. it's just lovely to experience that. And also, Gordy, I loved when I was talking to you. You were saying, and I loved what you said about this. About the you just get on with it. You mm-hmm. just do what you have to do and get on with it. Yeah. Stop don't moaning. you? Yeah. Stop yeah. bloody yes. moaning. <laughs> yeah. I can see. I, I, I can see why the Kiwis say whinging poms, you know, because when you first come over, it's like, oh, it's not like that at home. Well, you don't do this at home, and it's like you're not yeah. at home. You're in New Zealand, mate. Yeah. <laughs> the inside voice for a, a Kiwi would said, well, "Go back again. Didn't you yes. look at a map or read the internet before you yeah. came? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It says it's going to be here. <laughs> it's not that you can't talk about weather." But for some perverse reason, it seems to be the only conversational opener that a lot of people have. Oh, isn't the weather bad? Yeah, don't you have weather where you come from? Um, but if you're going to talk about weather in a typical Kiwi, Kiwi parlance, it would be, oh, bloody hell, look at the weather. I was planning to play golf or go tramping or fishing, and let's put the mockers on it. Yeah. So you're talking about weather in relation to something else or damn, look at this weather, I was going to go to a, a wedding or or you could say, geez, I'm glad this rain's here because I bought this coat and now I can use it. You know, sort of the weather is... is oh, I can't be, I can't be doing with that though, Gordy. I can't be doing with that when you just want to have a good moan and say, bloody pouring down and they go, yeah, but the garden yeah. needs it. And you're like, oh, shut up. Yeah. Never mind now. Yeah. <laughs> fingers out. Yeah, because... <laughs> Us Kiwis would say, yeah, look at this rain. It keeps the dust down. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's it's liquid sunshine. What are we on about? Yeah, Yeah, I was reading something the other day about the the British and the weather. And one of the reasons why they talk about the weather, it's it's basically a conversation starter. That's all it is. And if you can get through those first few pleasantries with an English person or a British about weather, then you start talking about something else, hopefully. Mm. And that side of it, that's that's, that's what that um, British thing is. Is that's why you always talk about the weather because it's a conversation starter. I could understand how it can get other cultures and things their back up and stuff because it's like that's what you seem to talk about. Mind you, saying that, Bright in Taranaki, Gordy, that's all they talk about. They all they want to talk <laughs> about is so the wind. <laughs> it's just like the wind, this, the wind, that. House. <laughs> when we first got here, some guy said to me, "Oh, it's a sound Norwegian." Westerly, and I was just like, it just went right over my head. It's a southwester coming around the mountain. (laughs) I'd never heard that saying before. So, of course, to be fair, rain is very important to farmers. So, farmers will talk about not enough rain or too much rain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It never seems to be the right amount of rain because, you know, 
rain is grass and grass is cows and cows is milk and milk is money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I always remember talking to a farmer. I think I've said it before. It's like, what what would, you know, you're always moaning about the weather, that it's it's too dry, it's too windy, it's too wet. And then they say 19 degrees and it rains at night, sunny in the day. And that's mm. that's that's all we want. Yeah. <laughs> the perfect world. Yeah. So, Gordy, yeah. you told me that you've, I mean, you've done loads. I'd love to talk to you about your coal mining down at the mines. I'd love to talk about that, but we haven't got time on this podcast, but maybe we could do that another time. Um, but Because <laughs> I'd love to know about that. But you did tell me that you worked for a company in HR where they brought talent over from overseas. That was right, wasn't it? I did. So you must yep. have seen a lot of people come into the country. And I know we spoke briefly about it. It before on the email and you've seen a lot of people not make it in New Zealand and just go home. Why would you say what makes some people stay and make it and others just what's the <clears throat> secret source there do you think? The secret is in themselves and it depends on why they've come to New Zealand. So if I was to categorize them, bottom level you get refugees. I've got no other choice. They come to New Zealand as a, a, a refugee because of some sort of persecution or harassment or discrimination, and they've come as a refugee. They're just happy to be here. They just get on with their lives. We come up a notch. We get what I'd call economic refugees. They've got the where for all, and they come to New Zealand because they've got things are conspiring against them economically, and they're here to, to make money. They will go often stay for a short while and they might go to Australia or anywhere else. Um, their, their motivation for coming is, is primarily economic. Then we come up another notch and we come to the idealists who've come to New Zealand because I've seen Lord of the Rings, watched an all-black test and some other thing and they think, yeah, that's where I want to go. These people hardly ever make it because they've come from the wrong reason. And lastly, we come to people who have done some research, they've looked at it, they've got a plan, and they come and they make it. The last group distinguish themselves from the third group by using what's known in the trade as the Goya principle, G-O-Y-A, which stands for get off your ass. <laughs> so the people at the, the top one they and they get involved, they get involved with their work, with their people, and they acclimatize. Mm. So that's what that what makes a difference. The most people who leave are in the third lot, the idealistic ones. Uh, um, they don't know why they're here. They can't settle down. They might go back. They might complain a lot more. It's just not what I used to. I thought I was getting something else. You know, mm, yeah, yeah. They're, they're all over the show. Yeah, that's so true, though, isn't mm, it? I, I, it is. Yeah, that's I, perfect. I totally agree with that. That's, perfect. that's a good analogy of yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the people that come here. Yeah. And yeah. also, I, you know, like we said before, it was just like you, you do meet people and you feel for them because they're coming over like they might have problems with their marriage or, you know, they're just, and they're hoping that New Zealand is going to fix that. And you're like, well, it can't, can yeah, it? it? You can, know, it can't, it, can't. it can't fix those things that people, you know, I remember a guy saying to me in England, um, um, uh, and he just said, it's going to be no different over there than what it is over here. Yeah. I, I could understand what he, what he meant, but we, you know, we always had that travel feel in our, in our blood that we wanted to do something and move somewhere. Yeah. And like you said, at the very beginning of this interview, you know, this chat is like, we came, you know, like, I'm not just saying like, oh yes, we're perfect, but we came because we loved nature. We yeah. wanted that space and we wanted <laughs> just that old feel 
of yeah. that community and just mm-hmm. a step back you know, in time but not yeah. in time yeah you, you know do you know what i mean that's uh, <laughs> uh, back yeah. to you know you know sort of real standards and sort yeah. of the way people talk to each other yeah. yeah you have to put an overlay on that of the geographical isolation and sort of history as well the geographical isolation if you're in london a three-hour flight would easily get you to rome yeah easily get mm. you past berlin probably get you up to Warsaw, Scandinavia. So there's a lot of people. New Zealand's pretty empty, by and large, once you get out of the, the big cities. Yep. So you have to be you have to be sure that you can deal with the living on an island miles from anywhere. Plus, it's a melting pot of ideas that everybody rubs along with everybody else. You can be your own person, but everybody rubs along in a view. If you're not used to those sort of things, you're not going to make it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or is it, or if you do stay, it's going to be, you know you're going to, it's going to be like quite hard, isn't it? For yeah, the first it's, it's few like years you know I've met people that um, you know mainly, mainly you meet English people, the expats and things like that, you know, and they. It's like, oh, it's not the same. And it's like, well, why oh, would it be the same? It's I like, when I go to the bar, the, the bar's <laughs> not the same. Why would you say that? Why is it going to be the same? You know, yeah. it's not a 17th century yeah. pub why you're going to. Why would you say that? Yeah. I it's know, just but... baffling. Yeah. It's yeah. just, yeah. yeah. And then it's like when they try it and make it the same. And some people do that. We talked about this before, didn't we? About, you know, how people, they have communities and, you know, it's fair enough. You're going to have friends and everything, but they don't go out of that that little bubble that they're in. So they've like made this like <laughs> mini England in New Zealand yeah, or, exactly. you know, <laughs> and that's quite bizarre as well. So it's, yeah, we were talking about, and I loved this. You said to me, Liz, have you ever heard of the the acronym Ford? Yes, yes. Ford F O R D. I've never That's heard of New that. Zealand, Ford is how a New Zealander would approach a conversation with other people, and we don't have to talk about the weather because first off, and it depends on how well you know the person, of course, you would introduce about people, family usually. If family, how's the family getting on? How are you doing? The first conversation um, touch point is about people, about family, you'd ask about those. Obviously not if you're going to the petrol station in some way about town, you don't ask them about that. But just generally with people that you know and you're connecting with and building up rapport with. The next thing is, oh, is occupation. So if you can't ask about the family, you talk about what do you do for a quid, mate? Or how do you knock out the pingers? So you talk about what they do for a job as a touch point. If that doesn't um, resonate, you can always talk about recreation. You know, what do you do on your days off? How do you fill in the weekend? That sort of stuff. So you would make um, conversation regarding what they do for recreation. And lastly, D is for dreams, which means, you know, the other things. What are you doing for your holiday? Have you got a holiday planned or, you know going to paint the house or, you know, what aspirational things. So Kiwis tend to talk about those things there in that descending order as well. So if you ever get stuck and you want to make a conversation, you just got to think, which one am I going to talk about? So if you come up to a stranger, you go, well, I'm not going to talk about the family, but I can say, you know, how do you earn a quid, mate? And talk about that. Or you can say, you know, how do you spill in your fierce spare time? You know, do you travel? So you, it gives you things. Nothing about weather in there, you'll know. Yeah, no, it, there's yeah. no W. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a weatherman. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> so they're, they're, they're sort of touch points that you'll see that um, 
uh, if you're Māori, family is very important. So they're always going to start on family because they want to know mm. where they fit in in the, the um, tribal structure. Of course, if they're a traditional uh, a Māori, they will know. So I don't know if you've had much to do with the Māori, which might be another um, aspect you might delve into. But their meeting house, the ridgepole, is the backbone of the, the iwi, the tribe, and the ribs that come down represent the branches of the family. So if you talk to a Māori who's traditional, he can go into the meeting house and he can show you which rib is his and mm. where he is in relation to everybody else. Yeah. So family, really important. They used to have something called the telephone book game. For those who can remember a telephone book, when two Māoris who didn't know each other, they would keep talking, mentioning names because they're trying to find out where they fit in to the things. Still they say, bingo, we, yes, that's a common ancestor. Okay. So uh, right. family, very important there. Mm. Mm. They call it whakapapa, though, their genealogy. Oh, so yeah, that's, 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 that's conversation starters. You can use it anywhere. Yeah, and, yeah. and since you told me that, <laughs> I've really noticed it. You know, when I'm, I'm talking to other New Zealanders, and I, I notice that that's one of the I, – I keep thinking, oh, yeah, there it is, you know, talking about the family yeah. or talking yeah. about the, their dreams. or Yeah, yeah it's really yeah, interesting yeah. that you should yeah. say that. It's a great thing because it's, it's a good thing. So sometimes, like you say, conversation gets stuck. So you've only got to think of Ford, haven't you? You can pick, like you say, mm. pick, pick yeah. one of them. Yeah. 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 No, that's great. So before we go, I just want to say to you, if you if if I was going to come over here, if I was like, oh, just, I'm going to come to New Zealand, I really want to make a go of it, Gordy, and, you know, I'm willing to do whatever it takes, what would you say to me? What a piece of advice would you give to me if I was moving to New Zealand? The first thing I'd say, if it was at all possible, that would be visit New Zealand first. I think the people who have done a visit to New Zealand and had a bit of a shifty round, seen what's there, always succeed better than those who don't. That's because they understand that it's a three-hour flight to get here, there's not a lot of people here, that nature is important, and they get a feel, as opposed to those who have seen a rugby match and arrive on the plane. So they understand it. So that would be the first thing to do it. The second thing is when you arrive, take a bit of a trip around if you haven't done it, but if you have, seek a job any job that you're going to meet New Zealanders with. So get a, a, an understanding how the workplace works, how, how the employment law works, everything's there. It might only be for three or four months, do a volunteer work if you like, but come, come in contact with Kiwis. A major mistake I find is some people who come here congregate into their own communities. That's all right in some Polynesian because that's how they work and they've got a long liberty in New Zealand. But the newer ones, if they congregate in their own community, they never make it to the next step. So you have yeah. to go and get a job, even if it's a much lesser hourly rate or salary, just so you can come in contact with New Zealanders and understand how everything works here. Once you've got over that barrier, then your quid's in, you understand you can do something. Now, New Zealand is a skill-based country. doesn't look for deep skills. It looks for wide skills. So a lot of people come here very specialist in their skills, and they can only put bolt A on bolt nut B. New Zealand doesn't want that. They want a person who can put all sorts of bolts on all sorts of nuts, yeah. So they want wide skills, not deep skills. 
So if you've got a deep skill and you try and get a job with that deep skill, then you're basically screwed. What happens is if you've got a wide skill, then the opportunities are boundless for a person who's got a deep skill once they understand how the country works. So that would be my second bit. My third one, I refer to my earlier statement about the Goya principle. Totally yeah. get off your yeah. ass. Yeah, get yeah. off your ass. Yeah. I was you just get thinking, off your ass Goya, and Goya. do something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I, 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 that's, I'm that's forced, so true. stop bloody moaning. Yeah, yeah no, I, you to yeah, that. I, I found that when I came here, I, I, I haven't even told Liz half the stories when you sit in that smoker on a building site and you're the only Brit guy there. And it's just the stories that come out and the interaction. And you, you, then yeah. you actually start to learn their humor. And then you, you, you kind of like, ah, that's what you, I can see what, you know, and it's it's such a huge learning curve. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I bet I wouldn't recommend everyone coming over as a tradie, but <laughs> it's a great, great, great place to start. Get in the septic tank. Go yeah. on, get off your ass and get in the septic tank. <laughs> get, it, get it cleaned out. Go on. Yeah. Oh, Gordy, I've absolutely loved talking to you. Have you got anything else that you want to ask? I've got does, lots, but I know, we're like I 40 minutes, to. getting nearly 40 minutes into it. Should we, do a part, should we do a part two? Should we have you back and just... If, you, if your fans want it, I'm happy to do a, another one. Yeah. Uh, I, I can do it on anything. Yeah, you know, it's just it's fascinating it. to talk to you and just... I just love all that history and yeah, just... Yeah, that's what I'd love to know because um, I'm guessing you grew up in the 1960s, 50s, 60s sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, sort of see or hear more of that time about New Zealand, you know, because it, it always fascinates me when I was a kid. We knew about New Zealand because of well, Anchor, uh, which was the butter and the, uh, the milk and stuff that would come over to... Yeah. Um, over to England and the New Zealand lamb and all those sort of things. And we just, you know, you always had, we always had anchor butter on the table. And it was just like, what, what, it's, what, what you know, what's wrong with English butter? But it was because <laughs> we, we had such a close connection. And then the EU hit in the 70s. And I'd love to, on the next one, you know, talk what it was like to to see that side of New Zealand sort of, mm. you know, reestablish themselves mm. and, and, how, and how they did it. That would mm. be great. So let's do that. Let's 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 meet back Excellent. up. Well, Gordy, thank you so well, so much for joining us. It's been it's been an honour to have you yeah, here. It, it has. really really it's has. It's been fantastic. Well, I don't know about an honour. It is. Yeah, no. see, I, I'd be a bit of a little cringe. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's not easy to come onto a podcast and chat. Like you know, it's just and and we really really appreciate you. And I keep keep saying that, but we do because it you, you're just teaching our audience and all you know new yeah. things and given a different perspective that we can't possibly give because we're not born yeah. here. Yeah. You know, we can't do that. We can tell you what it's been like for the last 12 years, but I really, really yeah. appreciate you coming on yeah. and just sharing that with us. Yeah. So yeah. No, thank you is. so it's, much. It's, it's, it's my pleasure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's we'll brilliant. speak to you soon. <laughs> thank you so much. Bye. And, thank uh, you. See, see you Bye, next Gordy. time. Bye. Thank see you. you. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the podcast. We have loved having you here. If you guys could subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Oh yeah, that would be nice. That would be absolutely amazing. And make sure to share the podcast with your friends. And if you'd like to hop over to the blog, find one of the little boxes that ask you to drop your email. I will send you a newsletter every week letting you know when we have released our new podcast. That will go straight into your (laughs) inbox. So it's www.com. It's a drama.com. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your day, and we will see you next week for another podcast. Look forward to it. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.